Hello and welcome everybody to a new episode of the Advanced Real Estate Talk. It's Aurélien, the Mindful Investor. I'm here with my co-hosts, Glenn, uh, glennsutherland.com and Darcy White, darcywhite.ca. And um, yeah, happy to be here. Good to see you all. Good to uh, be together. And uh, today we will be discussing seller financing or vendor take back when the, when the seller holds paper. Uh, so that's the topic for today. Glenn, would you like to start us off? Sure. And you guys just jump in and cut me off because I got lots of notes here. So we can cool. kind of tackle spots from certain things. This but, is right um, in your sweet spot because you do so many deals. And you're yeah. a problem solver for these kind of deals. So you've done a few of these, correct? Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, <clears throat> so I guess one of the things is, I guess where we start is, well, why do we want seller financing, right? Um, and there's lots of reasons we want seller financing. Um, one reason is bridge financing. So um, sometimes your lender doesn't come to the table. Maybe they need to season. Maybe you need to get your occupancy up on a property before that they will lend on it. So there's sometimes a bridge between that and that you can have the current owner of the property or the seller of the property keep hold back the financing during that period so in order to get you through to be able to buy this right so that'd be one reason that you would do this another reason which is kind of um why they would do it and why you would do it is sometimes like are you probably well familiar with is mobile home parks the it's really hard to get financing on those things um Maybe already touched on that a little bit, but I don't know if you're planning on talking about that, but I know um, whenever I'm trying to buy anything that's a difficult class to lend on, um, seller financing is much more abundant in those fields. Were you, you going to talk on that a little, Ari? Cut me off. <laughs> I'm going to oh, cut you off right here, Glenn. <laughs> I didn't know that. That was Is that a difficult class? I don't have any trailer no, parks. No, no. Things have evolved a lot, but there is a long okay. tradition in uh, mobile home parks uh, for seller carrying and then being extremely creative with uh, the financing. You can do a wraparound mortgage uh, where you have an initial mortgage and a mortgage around it. Um, so you keep the initial note and you... The, the seller keeps the note, the first note, and then you he adds a second mortgage, and then you do you do one payment that covers those two mortgages. But um, uh, it's become a very hot asset class as well. Uh, multifamily investors are now looking at uh, mobile home parks, and uh, so it's uh, the cap rates have compressed, and and you find the uh, financing uh, more and more easily. Uh, but you still can find uh, seller financing because uh, for the smaller ones, uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, seller financing could, can also be um, in the form of a of a second mortgage. And sometimes, um, usually, when when a broker is involved, uh, the broker won't really like it because uh, unless uh, they get get the commission from the proceeds of the first mortgage, if it goes with the bank. But um, a second mortgage can be a strategy when you're when you don't have uh, much capital or you want to save some of the capital to do some of the renovations to execute on your business plan. But you need to be extremely careful when you do a, a second mortgage. You need to make sure that your numbers work and uh, that you can handle uh, uh, higher vacancies if they were to happen and. Uh, uh, changes in, uh, in interest rates and usually uh, the higher is on a second secondary note the 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 interest rate is going to be higher so you're a bit more exposed and uh yeah so a word of caution but uh 
Yeah, they are out there and uh, they yeah. can be. And yeah, some, a, one of the other reasons, oh, sorry, yeah, I'll jump in here. Please first, go back Carson, to it. Yeah. Cut in. I um, want to get but, to the reason behind the reason when we come back, though. No, no, you go then. You, you're on the same topic. Go. No, no, I'm I'm curious because I did not know that it was a difficult asset class. And what Ari just described was first and seconds and wraparounds and takeouts and balloon fixtures. And all of these require paperwork, mm -hmm. legal, fees, interest rates, rate adjustments, and time. So it's expensive. It, you know, it's not, not a cheap really. solution. It's a little less expensive than getting uh, when you when you go with the for Canadians wanting to invest in those assets. In my experience, when you go with a, a mortgage broker, it can get very expensive in terms of points. You have to pay two point two point five points the, uh, on top of the, your loan generation, which you don't have when you get the the, the salary to finance. Usually, they don't charge yeah, any. You can points. actually save some money doing seller financing. Yeah. yeah, but the only reason you would undertake this amount of work is that there's some deal there that there's some uh, expectation of profitability or some upside um but you know or it's difficult GP. to lend right maybe it's yeah. uh, maybe it's raw land right and sure. you, you know you you need them to carry back for you you make payments to them until you can take over this property or whatever or until exactly. you could do it and you could build the house on it then and then you could take it over when the house is built right like to, yeah. to, to, to buy them out of their land right yeah, uh, the, the note on the land, right? Whenever you put an actual mortgage on, um, as a Canadian investing in the U.S., <clears throat> well, obviously we're not going to get as good of interest rates and everything else as the Americans. So, by being open to doing uh, seller financing or convincing uh, your sellers that this is something that works in their favor as well, um, it could be you could get yourself into like the American sort of rates because that's what they're. They're going to set the bar a lot of times because they're going to think about lending the way they pay for lending, right? So that that's what they will expect to receive, right? Yeah. So a lot of times you could get yourself into better spots, right? Lots of reasons to do this. And the um, as a Canadian, uh, usually the leverage rates are lower, right? So you're going to be talking about getting like you know 65, 70. 75 75 is rare by the way um but leverage points like spots like that and if you're in those sort of spots when you're doing seller financing you can negotiate whatever you are good however good of a negotiator you are um you uh, people can buy them with zero down they could buy them with 10 percent down a lot of times i buy them with 10 percent down because i still uh it makes the seller of the property more comfortable to see you have something in the game sure <laughs> right um zero is a tough one but when we're talking those low loan to value ratios, that is for me, that's an indication that we're talking about a ratio of risk and reward. So we assumed a building in, and this is with 13% down with really good financing, but we overpaid a little bit from the market for it to get that financing. So we did a calculation what the financing would cost us, how difficult it would be to finance that property. And as much as we liked it, taking it to conventional financing, we'd have to come in really heavy with 50% down to uh, balance the risk of those vacancies, that neighborhood and that building with its state of repair. But for the vendor to essentially give it to us at 13% loan to value, he's barely taking 100,000, I think his, his cut on that was $237,000 on it. It's not a big cut for owning it for seven years. Now he got his money out through different ways, but it was a measure of, it was a appreciation of the, the risk implicit in that purchase that the vendor was willing to take his own share of the risk and carry it. And you would carry a share of the risk when you're putting down, like so for bare land is probably one of the most riskiest because there's nothing, there's no asset that makes money for the bank. 
there's the underlying value of the land if you can sell it. And right now, if you're in the Fraser Valley out here, you could sell bare land in a heartbeat. The risk is probably pretty low. But if you're in a normal uh, market, bare land is a five or seven year prospect. Um, it takes 18 months to get a permit. What if it's in the wrong, you know, just to, just to do anything? Um, so you're looking at carrying charges for a long, long time. So for me, uh, vendor take back is a good indication that both parties recognize their risk in this purchase. If it's not just a straight up buying it at uh, like 25 or 30% of loan to value, there's implicit risk. And this is a good indication, at least for me, those are the red flags. And okay. So Darcy, but I like them. I'll chase those deals for sure. Say you're buying one of these things, right? You, you buy yeah. apartment buildings. So if you're going to buy apartment building and it has, um, you know, seller financing or some similar thing to that, would you still do your phase ones in all the regular regulations you would have to do if you're going to do regular financing, or would you just skip that step? Ooh, okay. This is a teaser for next week because we are going to talk about inspecting properties. But don't yes. give it all away this week, then. <laughs> yes, because okay, what's behind it? If you're, you know, it's some measure. Uh, I hate to think to take, use a gambling metaphor because I really don't gamble, not at all. I like sure things, but so I would, yeah, absolutely. I check everything just to make sure because if they're because you're going to have to convert it at some point. That's right. right. Imagine, if you refinance, you're going to need those. Absolutely, at some point, and they're only good for a year anyhow. They have to be reassigned to another person. So if you refinance two years from now, you're going to pay for it anyhow. But those are things that. Yeah, we're going to talk about this on our next episode that gets you in the giant jackpot where you cannot get out of. You may never be able to insure or refinance forever. So you want to make sure you're never doing those things. You're, you don't give away all your material. Okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, teaser for next week. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, but yeah, I would because it because there's implicit risk. Where is the risk? If it, the risk is just it's a difficult category historically, like uh, already said, uh, trailer parks used to be. Or... Um, Mixed commercial, which used to be kind of a difficult one, um, uh, you know, high vacancy, low, low rent, multi-res in places like Saskatoon in 2015, which Darcy bought. Oh, um, there's risk in that. And those things, the seller had to sweeten the deal with taking something back in those purchases, or it was on the price. You got a really good price. You got a really screaming uh, cap rate, 14% cap, 15 cap, 12 cap because they have to juice the deal to sell it. So I've got properties in Northern BC, commercial properties that make it make, you know, good money, but they don't transact at cap rates relative to say places like Prince George or Kamloops or Kelowna or Vancouver, because the implicit risk in those markets is much higher. So it's going to be reflected in the price or in my willingness to take some of that back and sell and finance the, the purchaser because they just yeah. won't be able to get bank financing. Well, you're, you're just mentioned like a really important difference, right? So you're either talking when you're negotiating, you're either talking terms you're negotiating or you're yes. negotiating on the price, yep. right? And if you can even do a hybrid of the two, um, you could, in a lot of situations, you could give them the price they're asking for because you can make the terms work for what you're looking for. That's very You have to explain this more. Glenn, Glenn, you do this a lot and you've said this before. Sorry, all right. You got to do you, Everyone listening, lean in now because Glenn's going to tell you how this works. He's a master <laughs> at this. I'm serious. I don't know if I'm a master of this, well, but, um, but price, price versus terms, right? So if you can get the, nego the the conversation to start talking about the terms instead of just the price, because you even think about wholesalers or a lot of people that are doing direct to seller, they're going to just keep badgering them on the price. Um, mm. Even you see this on, uh, I've heard about people buying these flips um, as, with seller financing because they're paying 
full asking of what these people are. And a lot of these people who are doing this and are open to taking the seller financing on the brand new, or not brand new, but fully renovated flip properties, they're people who have over-renovated, they've completely backed themselves in the corner, they've had this market property sit on the market for too long, and they, they can't do anything with it. No one wants to buy it for that kind of price. And what their ultimate goal is, is to be able to tell everyone that they sold it for what they their goal was. We, well, we bought it for this and our plan was to sell it for this and we did sell it for that. And in order to do that, a lot of times if they've over-renovated it higher than the market will even dictate, no one, no normal person would buy this. But if you could buy it, say you bought that same prop, bought that, took that property off their hands, you could negotiate maybe principal only payments. How much like equity could that build for you by not paying any interest? <laughs> right. Yeah. Paying that down very aggressively. And, you know, well, you know, say you're paying full asking and it's overpriced. Well, then you could, you could, you know, combine that with an Airbnb strategy or a lot of different strategies to make it work. You could then just lease option it to someone else at a very high rate too, to cover all these payments. And, but it's being paid down very aggressively. So it's not, there's no interest involved in that. Like a typical loan is like half interest, half principal, right? So, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, in that sort of ballpark, but you're getting all principal every month, right? Um, the trick is to figure out what is important to that seller. Yeah. What does the seller need? Do they, they're, they're like, if you're just having that conversation with them and they're going, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure I want to open this. I'm not sure I want to open the can of worms that are going down the seller financing thing. They're like, well, what are you planning on using this money for when you buy the thing? And they're like, sometimes you'll just hear, I just want to buy a new car. Well, hey, we could set up <laughs> seller financing. I could, you know, your, the down payment could be, what kind of car do you want? You know, oh, you want a $40,000 car? You want a $100,000 car? Your down payment could be the $100,000 car, you know, and then, you know, what will give you a cash flow going forward. The typically Robert Kiyosaki is rolling over in his life. He's not dead yet, but like the idea of spending your money on a hundred thousand dollar car. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what people want, right? Exactly. But, yeah. <laughs> but then you could people, a lot of these people are real estate investors. They're used mm -hmm. to a cash flow. It is an asset that they know and understand. And um, you just have to get it into finding out what they want, getting meeting what their goal is. If they need a cash flow of a certain level, they need you know, a new car, a new thing. They want to go move to Malibu and retire, figure out what it is and exact numbers of what they need to give, do, and then figure out if it's something you can do for them and still take the property, right? And find a win-win out of the whole thing. <laughs> and it gets, you can get as creative as you want, right? As you keep putting more and more uh, tools in your toolboxes, you could combine it with a lease option, meaning you rent the property from them and, and, and you pay them uh, a predetermined price in the future. You mm -hmm. could negotiate the interest rate to nothing, uh, no interest rate or principal only, right? So no interest, right? You could move interest rates to lower than what you could actually normally qualify for. So say a Canadian's qualifying at six, you could get the loan maybe at four or three or whatever you negotiate, right? You could change the terms of the loan so that you pay this thing off really fast so that they yeah. get the cash flow they need to hit their current goals, right? You could change the amortization. If they're not open to a long-term uh, commitment to doing this, you could have a balloon payment. You could still sure. set this up as a 30 and you could pay it off in 10 years. You could pay it off in five years. You or could pay it off in one year. Sure. We've year. done that 18 months. Uh, exactly. Get your work Just done and refinance or balloon payment it and play interest. And that works for as the bridge months. financing, right? Or yeah. that also works 
um, for me, like say I wanted to flip the property, I could do the renovation. I don't have to take on a JV. I don't have to take on private equity. I don't have to take on a hard money lender. I could just partner with the, the seller of the property basically to, to hold this property for me for the, the, the duration of this renovation, right? Um, one thing I love to negotiate is loan to value, right? So you could uh, negotiate the loan to value right up to, uh, you know, 90%, 95%, whatever. The problem is when you, because uh, that's what everyone wants to do, because they want to have nothing in the deal. They almost want to do a cash out refi on day one. Um, yeah. The problem is if you negotiate your loan to value too high, people in who you're working with are people and people change their minds and people's life situations change. If say your partner got divorced, say your partner decides they need the money, say they change anything. If you're too highly leveraged, it's you can't refinance. You have no options if you have nothing in the deal unless you have bought this at an incredible price. But usually when you're gonna get nothing in the deal, you're gonna be paying closer to what they're asking or over their asking, right? You know, it's okay, not so the you're not going to get every single piece of this deal. No, you. you're going to have to give something. But how do you get to them? So many, I, I, I can hear our listeners going, well, how does your, how do you get this conversation going with them? How do you have any indication that there's seller financing available? Are have you had experience in this? Did you get past your realtor, past their realtor? And Glenn's dealing with a, a, with a different crowd, probably of uh, wholesalers, individual sellers. He's making offers. The owner's probably offering these properties, but. How do you get past the gatekeepers of uh, realtors who really need a deal that's as much cash available on yeah. closing as possible so they can get their 3% or 7% out of the deal and transact a 90-day clean sale? Because your realtor doesn't get paid. On well, yeah, if you do a full, uh, so that's a first position mortgage, you mean? First yeah, or even just a nice clean first. purchase. How do you get the conversation started with the seller to find out if they're interested in VTB? Well, yeah, those, uh, if you do a first mortgage, uh, usually uh, you don't want a broker involved. And uh, so this is, uh, there are different strategies in the US. It's, it's easier using skip tracing to, to get access to owners directly. And uh, I, I subscribe to Scrapsy and there is a, a way to, uh, find, uh, to find the owners and you can subscribe to Rionami as well in the US to get the name and phone number for the owners. And that way you can have conversation with them and you can get them going and talking about their property and, you know, get the conversation going, get to know them. And like Glenn was saying, you know, try to understand their situation. What are they looking for? And that way you can define the terms and then the, the terms will allow you to, to come to, a, to an agreement to something that, that works for, for both parties. For us, we've uh, had, we're using in Ontario and Windsor, we use the same realtor who's been in the market a long time. And pretty much knew everybody he had sold some of these or had been in the office to, to uh, this is um gary knows and check at wollstonecroft in, or dearborn and deerbrook in windsor knew everybody so he had conversations going with people and that was a slow slow market so properties would sit for quite a while and people would be willing to consider alternative deals when we bought there uh edmonton similar and edmonton terry Ricky's our agent um, and she knows everybody. There's only, you know, a dozen agents that are selling these, this asset class. And she's having conversations with them all the time. What do your clients need? Who owns that property? What do they want from them? And I think part of that, getting that conversation going might be the conversation about the particular building you're going to have 18 months from now is happening right now. You're telling your realtor and she's telling other realtors and you're talking to the other realtors 
about exactly what you're looking for. So they know that Westred Partners are value investors. We're looking to help someone who wants out. And if they got a deal, we can close, but we're not going to pay full retail for a turnkey, pristine building on the uh, west side near West Edmonton Mall. We're not interested in that. We need something we can work on. So I think those kind of deals start coming to us where there's, a, where there's some leverage in the deal, where there's something with a little bit of hair on it. As our old mortgage broker, uh, David Beckingham, used to say, all deals have hair on them. If you don't see it, you're not paying attention. It's going to catch you. Um, so you know, I think, sorry to cut you off. I yeah, think no, that there go, is, please. You, you, you need them to know what you're looking for because you're like, hey, how do you get around to this? How do you find these seller finance deals? They need to know you're looking for seller finance deals. Yeah. And it sounds like the most obvious thing. But whenever I flew into Kansas City beforehand, there was no portfolios of seller finance deals. When we got there and we walked into the Keller Williams office, we Remax office, and we told them, they picked up the phone, they called everyone they knew and had big portfolios and made the calls and they tracked them down. They said, the Canadians are coming. They want seller financed portfolios. What do you guys got? <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you, that, you, you need, if everybody knows what you're looking for, then they can yeah. look for you. But if they don't know, yeah. you're never going to get it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It's you're, the conversation that's going to result in a deal for you 18 months from now is right now. You are having that conversation with your realtors, your mortgage brokers, with your bankers. Now we had bankers phone us and say, I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but what about this? And I regularly get that information. It's coming from, I don't, I've been dropping names of realtors, which is really safe, which make them happy. But I don't know if bankers want to know that they're contacting people that can help them out to get them out of a jackpot. But we've had buildings where bankers have phoned us up and said, are you interested in this, in this location? Yes, I am. Because, um, and those are the conversations. So, I mean, if you're, really shy about talking with bankers and realtors, you're going to have a hard time, but get over it. Um, it's uh, what is that? I've recommended that book, the hard thing about hard things by, uh, oh shoot, I can't reach it behind my desk, but the hard thing is having those hard conversations, telling what you need, right? Letting them know what you need. This is exactly what I need. I need vendor take banks. I need seller finance deals, portfolios. This is what I need. This is what I'm looking for. Cause you're not doing anyone any favors. If you pretend that you have, money and you're going to buy it out hundred percent with no financing yeah. and they think they can get a 30, 30 day deal out of you with a, you know, all cash. You're just going to frustrate anyone, everyone. Nobody does that. So tell them what you need, show your cards, not all of them. Um, and yeah, you know, let people know what you need. I, I have one more tip. Um, please. If you are trying to work, uh, you say this property is represented by a realtor already, right? To say that you can't get seller financing isn't, uh, isn't hundred percent true. It is going to be more difficult. And the reason is because of that gatekeeper, which Darcy was touching on these gatekeepers yep. Yep. and what you got to think about the realtor, what they're thinking in this whole thing, what they're concerned about when you're approaching, cause it's going to go through them to get the thing. Am I getting cut out of this deal? Yes. Yeah. That's their biggest concern when this is happening. If they know they're going to get paid, so you could sign, if you're not being represented by a realtor, you could sign a BRA with them. Guess what? You're now more uh, exciting to them if you, they're going to get both sides of the transaction, right? Yeah. You could, but basically, if you can ensure them that they're going to get paid one way or another, 
that is how you, and he's like, look, I want to talk to the actual seller because we're going to, I want to, we're going to have to talk. It's not a little bit more creative than just this number that we're going to negotiate on. Right. So yeah. I need to talk to them. I want to get them on the phone at least or sit down for a coffee and uh, you will get paid. I will sign paperwork that you will get paid. <laughs> I will not cut you out. Um, uh, that we have made arrangements to compensate realtors that it, or that where the deal does not have sufficient compensation for them. We've had a seller approach us outside of the realtor and say, look, this, I need this and there's no room in it for any, any realtor fees. And then we've had to take the realtor fees on the back end to pay ours and said, you can deal with your realtor, but we're going to pay ours. Um, we've also had ones that go horribly wrong where the seller reaches out to us, tries to cut everyone out. And then they're out of control where you're just begging the realtors, please come back in and wrangle this crazy situation. <laughs> we never closed on that deal. Um, we have a terrible name for that building. I won't name it because you can probably track the realtor and the owner's back by saying it. So I won't, but it was in Edmonton and it was just a absolute mess. Um, so again, it's a, it is an indication of risk when, when there's other things making the deal hairier, there's a chance for a really good upside. And if you can navigate yourself through that upside and figure it out, there's a good chance to you know have a really successful project, but, it's going to have hair on it to quote David Beckingham. Are right, you got some final thoughts? Uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, Glenn, when you, uh, no, a question for Glenn, when you, when you uh, approach those brokers and tell them, okay, this is what I'm looking for. How do you compensate them then if you get a free uh, set of financing and you don't get any uh, first mortgage with the bank, how do you compensate the broker? Well, uh, it gets complicated because sometimes you just have to pay them yourself. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and that's usually how it goes down. Um, what I usually try to do is say that they'll get, um, especially so say for instance, I'm doing, actually, no, it's not quite the same scenario. I was saying when I'm doing lease options, cause they come in the, the, a lot of times brokers bring them and they, they want to get paid on the closing, but you're just, they only did is bring you a tenant. They didn't bring you a property for sale. Right. Mm. So uh, I was like, yeah, you can get, I'll write you in. So you get paid on in three years. <laughs> this thing closes. Should this thing close, you will get paid for this property. I'll write a, you know, an agreement with you. Um, but a lot of times they don't like that, but yeah, a lot of times it's, you have to bite the bullet and, and pay them right uh is the thing or if they're already represented by the thing like i said you just sign a contract so that they're the the buying realtor and the selling realtor they'll get both sides of the commission um and that's how they're gonna get double paid basically so they're usually pretty happy for that and maybe if they're gonna get double paid there might be some negotiation to um moving their commission down a little bit from getting double paid so say if they're getting uh, you know, 5% as the whole thing, right? Maybe you can move it down to four or something because they are getting both sides and that could work is in the negotiation for, to help the, the seller of the property to, to get the numbers that they need, right? So yeah, usually just, I usually just sign an agreement that they'll get paid for both sides. With most of my realtors, I sign, uh, my agreements are specific for what each property, right? So, you know, you're gonna help me buy this property. You're gonna help me sell this property. I don't like to sign a blanket one because sometimes I want to buy from the bank. Sometimes I want to buy from wholesalers. Sometimes I want to buy from all different places. And that realtor does not get com uh, commissions from all the different spots. They no, get right. for the things they're working on, they get paid for, right? Because I'm all over the place. So it can't, it has to make sense, right? I don't want to get roped into paying commissions on something they've never even heard or saw or did anything with. 
Okay, and uh, did we mention that one of the arguments that may be interesting for the seller is that, uh, you know, in terms of capital gains, did we mention that? No, we didn't touch it. I have a, I actually have the notes written down. I didn't touch halfway notes. Do you mind touching on it? So just to, we're not accountants, but there is, this is one of the aspects of a seller carry that may be of interest for a seller. It can allow them to uh, spread the capital gains over time. Exactly. So they're going to only get, you know, they're getting that uh, income from the, 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 you know, the money that you're paying them, right, for doing the seller financing, but they're not, they're not getting the like million dollars for this million dollar property. They're getting, you know, uh, whatever it works out to like 10,000 yeah. a year or something, and that could keep them in a lower tax bracket. So they're not paying taxes even on the higher part, you're paying, you know, and like I said, we're not accountants, but also the, the capital gains is spread out at a much lower level. Fantastic. Okay, well, thank you everybody for tuning in. And uh, I think uh, we may have another episode where we discuss about uh, buying with or without a broker, what how to do those. And uh, yeah, so that may be in the pipes for another time. And uh, thank you for tuning in. You can find more information about me at uh, the mindfulinvestor.net, Glenn at glensutherland.com, and Darcy at darcywhite.ca. Thank you for tuning in and see you all next time. Thanks. Bye, Thanks, everyone. Everybody.